This is the Jocko Underground Podcast number 16 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Also joining us tonight, Daryl Cooper. So here we go. Good evening to you guys. Whatever. All right. So I was reading. I don't know. I don't know what um, particular wormhole I was down in this situation. But I was reading this article. I ended up reading this article. Something called the Ash Experiment, run by a psychologist named Solomon Ash. I want to say this is like nineteen early nineteen fifties when this went down. And so we ran an experiment. Which experiments are kind of underrated, and I think they used to be able to get away with all kinds of stuff. <laughs> this one isn't bad, but they—they mm-hmm. they clearly uh, maybe that's a good maybe that's a good one for for the unraveling podcast. Just look at some gnarly psychological experiments; they're out there. Yeah, our medical experiments. We get into Tuskegee, the syphilis oh, yeah. experiment. Yeah, that's you freaking feel, nasty. Feel a little bit of national shame for a moment. <laughs> that's a horrible, horrible one. Um. All right, so this experiment was set up like this. Uh, they had eight people in a room. Seven of the people are actors, or they call them confederates in the, in the psychological world, but they're actors. And one person out of these eight is the subject of the experiment. And so then they get, they get asked a question, and this, this particular experiment, what they did was they, they had, they, they described it as a vision test or a perception test, and they had a line by itself and then there was three lines separate, separated from it, but near it, and they were of different lengths, and they were numbered one, two, and three, and you'd look at the line that was by itself, mm-hmm. and the question was, which of the other three lines is the same size as the line that's by itself? So it's a real simple, straightforward test. Um, and that's what they do, and they'd show them a bunch of different lines mm-hmm. and a bunch of different other lines. And then they'd ask one at a time, they would ask, okay, which one is it? Is it one, two, or three? And they'd go down the, 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 the seating, right? So they're all sitting at a desk, like a, like a long desk. They're all sitting there facing these lines. They put up the lines, and then they go left to right. All right, what do you think? And it's an actor. And what do you think? It's an actor. And they, all the actors answer first, and then they have the actual subject of the experiment. So sometimes the the actors would all give the wrong answer. And when they did that, guess what happened? 30 something, 32, 35, 37% of the time, the subject would give the wrong answer too. Yeah. He would just get influenced. When, they, when the actors gave the correct answer, there was only 1%, it was actually less than 1% deviation. Less than 1% deviation. But when the actors, you know, when the when the when the correct answer is, you know, line number two, and all the actors go, oh, line number three, line number three, line number three, line number three, they'd get to the subject, and the subject would go, oh, yep, line number three. Thirty-five yeah. percent of the time, when it's when it's, and and I saw the images. It's not. It's really clear. Yeah. There's there's not much different. You know, there's not much. Uh, not much debate yeah. about which one of these lines is like this, or which one of these lines is the correct answer. So, and they got to ask multiple times, and so 75% of the subjects, so 75% of the subjects conformed at least one time. So yeah. almost everybody that went in there, 75%, at least one time conformed. Oh, they were doing it over and they over. They did it over and over. Like yeah, they asked, you know, 10, they'd show you 10 things. Yeah. And, um, and then and here's another point on this. When they ran the same experiment, 
but they would have one of the actors out of the seven give the correct answer, that was enough to drop the percentage down to only 5% instead of 35% of, of conformity. So they get done with the experiment. They did some interviews with the people. Um, and well, what do you got so far, DC? Anything, anything so far? Yeah, I got a couple of things that are very interesting about this. Uh, about this, I, I guess questions that I have about it. Um, one is the fact that whenever they run any of these psychological experiments, these post-war experiments where they're kind of trying to really trying to figure out how how Germany happened, right? That's really what they were trying to figure out. Was it conformity? Was it some like rooted darkness in like the heart of mankind that emerges under certain circumstances? Is that you have to disguise the experiment? in order for the experiment to work, right? If you were to tell these people, um, listen, so, you know, these yeah. people are going to say, you, you, just, you can't do yeah, it that way. That, that and would it's, not work. And there's an interesting I, I know, thing that goes to um, self-awareness <clears throat> here, you know, where if the person is like aware of what it is you're trying to get them to do, then often they'll do the right thing um, because their priority is, is performing the task that you've, you've set in front of them. Whereas if you can redirect their attention in a way, then their priority reverts to the thing that the, the mode that we usually operate in, which is making sure that we are aligned with the people around us. Mm-hmm. And um, because conformity is not not always a bad. I mean, it's not usually even a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's the weird thing, right? It's like we look at like uh, you brought up that book, Ordinary Men. I think you've mm-hmm. done an Jocko podcast yep. before, <clears throat> and people have commented on the fact that you know you had all these middle aged. Uh, gendarmes, German military policemen who had been brought in were doing horrible, terrible things to Jews in Poland, and the uh, the, the reasons that they would that they gave afterwards. And these were men who acknowledged their criminality and were very open about what they had done. They weren't trying to hide anything. Was that the the impulses that drove them to do the horrible things that they did were very often like pro-social impulses and mm-hmm. things that in another context were not necessarily a bad thing. Like you didn't want to leave your friends to do the dirty work alone. You know, you have, if they're going to do it, then you have to do it. It has to be done. So we're all going to do it. That kind of thing. You know, wanting to be a part of the group and maybe deferring to the judgment of others. You know, if we're sitting here right now, maybe if it's like a line is two inches and it's, you know, it's uh, measuring it against a one inch line, maybe I'd hold my ground or whatever, but there's not necessarily anything wrong with like, you guys are right there saying, no, 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 listen, we're telling you this is how it is. Mm-hmm. That my, I might really think that it's a certain way, like a different way. But at the same time, I trust and respect you guys enough to be like, huh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. <clears throat> maybe I'm wrong. And that's not necessarily a, a bad impulse. Yeah. You know? yeah. So the two things that you just talked about, because uh, when they got done with the experiment, they actually interviewed the people and said, well, what, you know, what were you thinking? Why did you say this? So there was mm, two prominent answers. The, the first one, is what you talked about, well, I guess it's, it's part of what you talked about, it's normative, inf- normative influence, meaning I just wanna be normal. And if there's a bunch of people that are saying something like, I don't wanna stand out, that's, that was most of it. Most of it was that. And then some of it was also what you're talking about, they call it informational influence, which is, look, I, look it looks a little bit short to me, but you know, if, if Echo and Daryl are both saying that's the, you know, I'm, I'm, they're probably right. You know, it's a little bit of self-doubt. And they generally, they can also genu- genuinely believe that the group is right. So they're just like, oh, I'm, yeah, my depth perception's never been that great or whatever. My, my eyes have never been that great. And so, and the other thing is, you're, you're right, it's not that bad. In leadership strategy and tactics, 
I have a, an actual section in there that's called conform to influence. And what I'm talking about in there is, you know, you want to influence the team to go in a certain direction, but you're not part of the team or you do things that make you separate from the team or they don't view, they view you as different. You're not going to have any influence over that team. So you have to sort of conform to influence. You have to conform to what they're doing so that you can, so you can talk to them and you can, you can, they will listen to you. Lately, I've been talking a lot about the fact that if you don't let anyone influence, if, if, if I don't let Echo influence me, he's gonna be much more opposed to me influencing him. But when I allow him to influence, I go, yeah, you know, where do you wanna go to dinner? And he says, oh, you don't wanna go to uh, what the steakhouse. And I go, well, which one? And he goes, oh, I wanna go to Fred's Steakhouse. Hey, man, that sounds good. And, and because I allowed him to influence me, now when I say, you know, hey, after that, can we run and, you know, get some, get some rolls in at jujitsu? And he's like, He's more open to it, more open to it because I allowed him to influence me and now now he's being influenced. So there is, there is some good things about it. I mean, look, we want people to conform in many situations. That situation you just mentioned is, I, I've noticed with some of my oldest friends that something that developed over a long period of time and has really like, you know, become the status quo. And it's one of the things that makes our friendships so comfortable um, is that, we, we all know how to kind of trade off letting somebody else take the lead. You know, like today, like I got a lot of energy. I have something that like, you know, I really want to, that I, that I really want to do. And <laughs> these Jocko goes are only two ninety nine at your local wall. Um, and like, you know, I got a lot of energy. I got something I really want to do. want to show you guys, everybody kind of falls in line. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, Daryl's got the lead today. We're going to go kind of do what he wants to do and kind of follow his energy today. And other days it'll be somebody else. And if it, if you, you know, there's a lot of friend groups that are different than that, right? Where you'll have like a set leader and then they're little minions. Mm. And those are, there's a totally different dynamic there. And, um, you know, I think that learning how to sort of work off each, each other's energy and kind of trade off letting the other person take the lead is, is important and it enriches relationships for sure. That is true. Well, as I read this, there's a, there's a reason that I wanted to bring it up. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is because it's just a little, it's a, it's a little thing. It's a little, it's another little filter to put on, not only on your thoughts, right? Because we have to look out for our own tendency to conform. We have to, we, you know, we have to look out for our own tendency to conform where we're like, wait a second, oh, I'm just going with the flow here. And we have to look out for other people's tendency to conform. We have a tendency to conform there. It's in this situation kind of proves it. When we look at the My Lai Massacre, you get to see both of these because, first of all, it, conformity when they got there, when they arrived, when this when this company of soldiers arrived and started this massacre, it was just conformity. It was, hey, that's I guess that's what we're doing. We're just going to start shooting people, and of course, then it escalated to heinous, you know, mutilation and and, and rape and the whole nine yards, but it was. It was part of that's just conformity, you know. That's what we're doing, okay. And once it gets going, you don't want to be the one dude in a company of rapists and murderers who didn't actually do anything wrong. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a nightmare. And so, that being said, that one officer, uh, Hugh Thompson, who's in the helicopter, went down there, saw it. He went back, reported it to the commanding officer, and the commanding officer got on the radio and was like, "Stop!" And boom, they stopped. So all it took was, you know, the when they when they put one actor, 
that gave the right answer and that dropped it uh, down to 5%. Yeah. I just wanted to bring it up that one one person can stop something bad from happening. And you know, wh- whether it's something bad, you know, some kind of atrocity, that's an extreme, but you can even be at a company in a business and you start seeing a bad idea and people are just kind of on board with it. Hey, I guess that's where we're going. And all it takes is for someone to say, hey, wait a second, why are we doing this? What's going on here? To, to stop the group think, to stop the conformity if it's going in the wrong direction. And, and I talked about this on EF Online the other day. I've been, I've been talking a lot about, you know, I, you always hear me talk about detaching, you gotta detach, you gotta detach. And why do you gotta detach? You gotta detach so that you can see. You can see. As a leader, you want to detach so you can see, but you've got to actually know what you're looking for. If you just detach and look around and you don't know what you're looking for, that doesn't really help too much. You're you're kind of hoping that you see something, Mm. but you have to be looking for something. And there's a bunch of things that I've been going over that you can look for, but one of the things I've been talking about, or one of the things that I talked about the other day is you've got to detach and take a look at the momentum of the group. And there's a chance that the momentum's going in the right direction and everything's, you know, everyone's just excited about it and it's gonna add momentum and it's gonna be great because we're gonna go even faster in that direction that we should be going. And if you detach and you see that and you measure it and you check the direction of the momentum of the group and it looks like it's going in a good place, cool, you can let it continue to go there. But you also have to pay attention because there's a chance that that momentum that the group is going in is not good. And so you have to either you know change that direction and say hey just hold on a second we're going the wrong way here's where we need to go you also have to when you detach take a step back you you might have to identify that the group is not moving it's very easy for things you know someone in a nervous they get nervous they get scared they don't want to change they don't want to move and everyone just freezes up you as a leader have to detach so that you can go oh wait a second we're, we're we're bogged down right now this assault is bogged down right now we're not moving we're not making progress the enemy's having a chance to move we need to go you need to be the one that's detached and can identify that so that you can make a make a move now sometimes it's okay to slow down sometimes we have to slow down and the group goes oh we're moving fast and you look around and say hey it's probably good to slow it down right now we're doing the right thing but all that group think is is scary from a leadership perspective if you allow yourself to get caught up in it and then you look up and you go wait a second we're way too far we're way too exposed we're too much risk like all these bad things are happening you didn't see it why because you were caught up in the group and you were conforming Good things to think about. Yeah, I think I may have gotten this from a movie or something, but maybe they got it from reality. In either oh. case, it's a in either case, it's a it's a good idea. It's a good interesting way of putting it. Is um, it was somebody from the Israeli military, and they would, they talked about how there was an institution in the Israeli military command structure that in any meeting, any time they were con- discussing strategy or anything like that, there would always be a single person in there whose your entire job is to think of ways that this could go wrong, think of ways that um, that everybody else is incorrect in what they're saying. Like you are this, just your job is to be the devil's advocate mm-hmm. on everything, to go co- totally outside the box and just tell us why everything that we're doing in, in this approach can be can be wrong. And I mean, to, to institutionalize it like that is you know, real recognition of a, of a deep reality. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a smart way to do it. And since, Many organizations don't have that. If you're in a leadership position, you better detach and do that yourself. Because otherwise, it's groupthink and it's a disaster. Well, it's a potential disaster. And societies find ways to do that in a way too, right? Like you think about like that's kind of, we kind of allot that responsibility to stand-up comedians, for example. 
right? You're allowed to go places, say things, talk about things that the rest of us, we can't really quite get away with. And we're all going to agree to allow you to do that. You know, not, not, you can't go way over the edge. I was going to say, you know, like, but how much has that curve changed in the last three years? Or what we're in a very conservative period where consensus is, you know, being enforced very strictly. And yet still, like, there's comedians out there that can get away with, we let them get away a little more mm. than, like, we let everybody else get away with. It still flexes. Like, if we're in a, you know, a real consensus enforcement period, then they're going to get affected by that, too. But you can go back even to, like, medieval courts, the way they would use court jesters. A court jester could tell the king to all sorts of horrible things that would get everybody else's head cut off. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, this institution that like nobody really thought about it and said, okay, this is why we're doing this. We need this person that can point out the emperor has no clothes and who's kind of protected in that role. Although the jesters would get their heads cut off sometimes too. But still, like the, they, 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 you know, almost as if they had some intuition that they invented these institutions, just like we've kind of allowed that, you know, the stand up comedians to do that. Because there's like this recognition that we have to have somebody here that's throwing some sand in the rest of the gears here. You know, mm -hmm. that gadfly that kind of keeps the rest of us honest. Mm -hmm. Half the time we end up killing those people or hanging them on a cross or something. But, you know. <laughs> or right now we just cancel them. Yeah, yeah. You're Same not allowed team. to talk anymore. <laughs> right on. Group think. Watch out for it. Conformity. Watch out for it. It's not always bad, but it can be. Q&A, what do we got? Questions from the interweb. Interwebs. Okay. First question. Jocko Underground was created in part due to censorship. I'm also based in California. Is there a red line for you? For example, if the government in California crosses a threshold in terms of increased taxation or other government overreach, would you move to better governed states like Texas or Florida or even abroad? Mm-hmm. So... I have to start off by saying that California, broadly speaking, as a as as like a place, mm. is freaking awesome. Yosemite. Have you ever been to Yosemite before? No. Have you been to Yosemite? Of course. It's 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 absolutely insane. Yosemite, Malibu. Surfing Malibu, Rincon, um, Mavericks. Like there's these just epic surf spots. You have the desert, yeah, like incredible desert, dunes. Like just, it's it's incredible. You have the mountains. You got Tahoe and Mammoth. You got incredible skiing. You got the, the some of the best hiking in the world. Remember the, that, that old saying that everything that somebody says before the word but doesn't count? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Redwoods. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a majestic state. Like, you can go. It's just it, the, the weather's beautiful. So it's this incredible place. So we'll start off by saying that. But it is an incredible place. There's a, as far as the red line, right? I'm not a really a red line kind of guy because I don't like to paint myself in corners. Because there's very few things in the world, I'm not saying there's none, but there's very few things in the world where there's not circumstances that influence whether that red line is you know actually there, does it need to get backed up, or does it need to be moved forward? So I'm not a red line kind of guy. I like to assess things holistically, like what's all is going on, right? What is everything that's happening? 
And how does that move that red line? The line is like more like a blurry, you know, broad border. Um, but you know, so here's what's going on in California. Taxes are uh, are unsatisfactory. They're kind of outrageous, actually. Um, so that's bad. The the business environment is super hostile. To try and run a business in California is very difficult. The regulatory environment is crazy. And what's scary is, is, is could California get caught in a downward spiral where, okay, so we, we put these high taxes on people. We put these high taxes on businesses. What do the businesses do? Businesses leave. That's what businesses do. And this isn't theoretical. This is factual. There's been... Thousands of companies that have now left big companies. I mean, Hewlett Packard left, Tesla left. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, Charles Schwab left, uh, First Foundation Bank left. There, there's just thousands of big billion, multi-billion-dollar companies that have left. They have left California because it's a hostile business environment. And when you make a dollar, you've got to give 13 cents to California, and then you take. And then you tax people. And so what do those people do? They get to a certain point and they're like, wait a second, why am I paying taxes here? This is kind of crazy. I love the weather, but it's not worth what I'm paying for it. I love the mountains, I love the ocean, but it's not worth what I'm paying for it. And people do this calculation in their head and guess what happens? Some of them leave. Some of them leave, Elon Musk. Some of them leave David Bloom, Bloomberg. Some of them leave Rogan, Tim Ferriss, Peter Atiyah. I mean, like people, people leave. And then what's the downward spiral then? Well, then who's paying the taxes? Well, now the, the, the income from the taxes isn't there. So what do you do? You raise taxes more. And people that were like, well, you know, it was worth 13%. Is it worth 16%? Is it worth 20%? And by the way, there's a 37% government, federal government tax. So now you're just, you're giving up half your money if you're in that highest tax, tax bracket, which is who's paying for most of the, who's, who, that's who's responsible for most of the money coming in. So it, it can become a death spiral, which is, which is what I worry about in California. What I'm hoping is people in California look around and say, oh, wow, a bunch of giant companies have left the state, taking thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs with them. A bunch of people have left, and this we must be doing something wrong. Let's try something new. Let's try making a place where we invite businesses, where businesses wanna be here, where people wanna be here, and hopefully that pendulum swings back before it, it, you know, it goes so far that it's just, it's not, not able to recover. That's what I think. And the problem you run into with California, I guess it's the problem with a lot of places these days, is that you have a pretty big, giant, populous state with a pretty, you know, very diverse state, both uh, you know, demographically and politically. But the people who make the decisions for the entire state live in a strip about 15 miles from the coast, from about Marin County down to La Jolla. And those people have a very, you know, a, a way of looking at the world and approaching politics that's very specific to their class and who those people are. That, and, and they're, they're, you know, those are the people who are wealthy enough that 
yeah, like raising the top marginal tax rate a bit more is not some kind of deal breaker for them. It's not, you know, they're very detached from the consequences of the policies that they push on the rest mm. of the state. And so it's very hard to get, um, you know, a message from the electorate in a one-party state like California, you know, because it's, it's, it's one of the consequences you run into in any one-party system where the people that you're electing, those are people who were, cho- who were chosen as your options by a single party. And they got up to be, you know, the person who's who's up for office, not because they worked their way up through lower offices and so forth, but because they worked their way up through the party system, like internal to the party mm-hmm. itself. And, um, you know, it's, it's something you run into as a problem in communist countries where they were the only allowed party in fascist countries and in states, you know, across the country where you only have a single competitive party. It's a real problem just because the people up top don't really have to worry about being held accountable for their actions. You, you know, here's one thing that I think is hard to understand in some situations if you don't, if you're not aware of it. So there's, there's a lot of companies that make a lot of money, right? Um, but the, the profit margins that they make are a lot slimmer than than you would get than a lot of people would guess one one thing that comes to my mind is um, construction so when you're a construction company and I'm talking like the very large construction companies companies that do billion dollar or 500 million dollar projects what do you how much profit margin do you think they make on a 500 million dollar project echo take a guess 10 I'd say less yeah maybe 10 but I'd say probably like six to eight percent something like that they're hoping that they get 4%. 4% is a solid, like they did a solid job. Yeah. Now, you have a concrete pour that goes wrong, or you have rebar that wasn't in the right position, or you you know, you know have weather that hits at the wrong time. Price of lumber spikes The up price of lumber, like there's all these things. So it's real easy to be like, oh, you know, they're making hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like, actually, no, they're not. No, they're not. And, th- you know, that's part of the free market, right? They're competing against other construction companies, and. But there's there's many, many, many companies, many businesses that are like that. So when you start talking about, oh, it's just a payroll tax of 0.6% and, oh, it's just this other, you know, other other little tax that's thrown on there, it turns out to be, hey, we, we barely make any money. We actually might be losing money, whereas if we don't headquarter in California, we can, we can make money and stay alive as a company. That's what we're doing. And unfortunately, um, like I said, I don't think people always know. I mean, like, you don't ever know anyone in the restaurant business? Like a restaurant business? Those guys are every month. There's no restaurant businesses that are like, cool, we're set. Well, let me rephrase that. There's very few restaurants that don't have to say, okay, what are we doing this month? How are we looking? You know, how is payroll? Are we going to be able to make payroll? That's a real thing. And there's so many different businesses that are like that. And. Yeah, you start you start adding when your when your profit margins are margins are that thin, and then you throw a tax that we could avoid by going to another state. What do they do? They go to another state. So let's hope, uh, dear California, let's start thinking about what we're doing. Next question. Any advice for a 56-year-old reasonably fit guy starting jiu-jitsu? I wrestled in high school, did some MMA training in my early 30s, mostly boxing and kickboxing. I work out five to six days a week. I have a a very physical job. I know I'll I'll need to check my ego at the door, and I want to avoid (laughs) 
frustration and keep at it. Any input is appreciated. Yeah. Well, it's really easy to say, I know I got to check my ego at the door. We all know that. Yeah. It's a little different to actually check your ego at the door when a 142-pound nerd is about to tap you out. That can be frustrating for a dude that's, you know, wrestled in high school, did MMA training, physical job, good shape, works out five. Hey, look, man, yeah. that's all good props, bro, props. Oh, yeah. But the, the the ego against a 140-pound nerdy-looking dude that has your arm, your ego is going to get tapped out, mm. hopefully. So that's number one. Man, it's not just a little saying like, oh, you gotta leave your, just check your ego out the door. Everyone says that. Yeah. How many people freaking get their arms snapped, right? Yeah. A lot, because they're idiots. So don't be that way. Uh, roll with good people. Like you, like some, you know, you get some freaking 230 pound juiced up 21 year old that's like, let's roll. Yep. Well, how long have you been training for? Three weeks. Don't, don't roll with that guy. Just don't do it. That guy's looking to like, speaking of ego, he's looking to prove that he can beat this old man who, you know. Yeah. He's gonna, he, so, so don't roll with those guys. I honestly think like you, you kind of want to roll with purple belt and up. Mm-hmm. Cool blue belt, maybe like a smaller blue belt. Cool. As long as it's not a smaller blue belt that's got something to prove, but like a cool smaller or it's cool blue belt that's just kind of gets it that's cool purple belt should be no factor you should very rarely have a purple belt that needs to like that's gonna hurt that's gonna like do something stupid right you got to be pretty stupid to do something like that mm. although there, there was that one purple belt that did that shit to my wife <laughs> back in the day yeah, yeah back in the day sure yeah choked my wife's face yeah well i think that's more that's less of a jujitsu thing and more of a did he know like who she was people. married to? <laughs> he yeah. found out. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times those guys are like, it, that's sort of like who they are. It's almost like they're not in touch with what they're doing. Who, this, the purple belt? Yeah. Like, the, sure, he's a purple belt. Like, you can, if you think back, you could probably, I mean, obviously I don't want to name names right now, but mm-hmm. you could think, I know of two guys right now, purple belt too, where I'm like, right, you're spazzing way too hard mm-hmm. for what belt you are. But mm-hmm. it's like just, it, it seemed like it was just who they were. Mm-hmm. That's what it really seemed like. Not that like yep. so, I don't know like what I'm doing necessarily. Yeah. It's just that more like he didn't know what he was doing in life in a, on a certain level, mm-hmm. and so, and that just translated through his jujitsu. So no blanket statement, right? Not like hey, it's purple belt, you're good to go. Be yeah. cool, you know. A 21 year old juiced up freaking purple belt that looks all mental. Like you might want to, <laughs> you might <laughs> yeah. want to freaking, you might want to. And this is where the ego comes into play. Yeah, because when that guy's like, hey, you want to roll? And you don't want to be a wuss, so you're like, let's do it. <laughs> when you should be saying, like, no, man, I'm good. I don't need to roll with your big ass. Yeah. That's what you should say. Yeah. Uh, and hey, honestly, start on the ground. Like, when you're standing, your, your possibility of getting injured is quite a bit higher. So if you're worried about being injury injured because you got a physical job, when you start standing and you start doing takedowns and double legs and single legs and judo hip throws, yeah, there's a higher probability for injury. Mm. What do you think, gi or no gi, when it comes to injury? 
I think probably Nogi would might have more injuries that are significant, mm-hmm. but gi, like your fingers, your fingers are going to get jammed yeah. up yeah. and like maybe your wrist, maybe your skin, you know, like that thing, that whole thing. Did you say your skin? Yeah, like if you... When you go home with your like skin gets injured, yes, is sir. that what's happening? Very important organ. <laughs> are you gets sure? Injured are, are you sure it's not wounded? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hurt. hurt, hurt, hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, just I mean, really injured, injured. Bro, the no guy gi- didn't say no he gi- was a model. <laughs> <laughs> he said he has a physical job. <laughs> he didn't say he wasn't a model either. So I'm just you know I'm okay. assuming. You know. All right. So, Avoid people with excessive tribal tattoos. Mohawks and other non-standard haircuts. Generally speaking, I think that's safe. Um, tap out sh- or affliction shirts of any kind. Are those, so. Is anyone still wearing those things? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, if somebody is, avoid that person yeah, yeah, as well. Obvious red flag. <laughs> when does uh, tap out become like old school? Well, no, tap out is kind of new now. If you look at tap out, what they are now, mm. they're more like sporty. Like okay, it's more cool. of like a sport thing. It's less like tap out. Okay. Anyway. But yeah, uh, to answer your question, Nogi, I think we'll have more injuries. That's interesting. I'm not sure, man. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think if you follow the advice we've given, you'll be fine. Yeah. Unless you get a rando injury, which can happen, but that can also happen playing basketball. Yeah, fully. And the, and if you're really concerned, like it depends. Like there's so many different kinds of fifty-six year olds. Uh, but true. I mean, he says like, yeah, he did some MMA training and like, you know, kickboxing and boxing. Depends on what that even means. You know, like if it's like, yeah, I, I hit mitts, you know, and punch a bag in the in the class or something. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people will say that. Be like, yeah, I take, I box, you know, and they're just Dude. you're taking the class. I'm just saying, I'm not saying there's anything else. Kind of calling a brother out. On I'm this not calling nobody out. I'm saying that that happens sometimes. This homie did boxer size, and you're calling him out. <laughs> just saying that happens sometimes. <laughs> um, but you know, if he works out, fighting, you know, if he's kind of durable, then he's wrestled, so he knows what it's like to have somebody come after. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and he also knows how hard you have to go in wrestling, and he's going to bring that right onto the mats of justice, yes. and it's going to be problematic. Yes, it's so very so that's another thing. It's a good point. This ain't wrestling, and you shouldn't go that hard. And it's going to be there's some wrestlers that never get over that. It took you know, me a there's long some time. I I know black belts that they still that's the only they only know how to the only level they know how to go is wrestling. Yeah, that's the only level they got is yeah. wrestling. Right. They don't have any jujitsu. Like flow slash indirect attacks, you know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. I'm coming at you. Yeah, I'm gonna wrestle you. Yeah. We're gonna do leg locks and arm locks, but yeah. we're wrestling. Oh yeah, in their mind they're wrestling. That's a that man. That's a thing, and it and it kind of makes sense. Where like, because you know how like jujitsu is essentially performance based, you mm. know, and it's in and there are. A lot of circumstances where it's like, okay, like, yeah, they can't really tap everyone out, but given who they are or whatever, so there's that or whatever. But you get a guy, for example, he has a wrestling background, and he's successful in p- picking up jujitsu submissions, but all that part that you're talking about, he doesn't really pick up that much, yep. right? We'll say, yeah, he'll still progress because he knows the submissions, he knows positioning oh, from yeah, the yeah, wrestling yeah. and all this yeah. stuff. But there might be big gaps, we'll say, in his jujitsu knowledge or whatever, and still be quote unquote at a high level but in these particular situations like yeah. how you say like th- that's just their game now and it makes sense it, go- it yeah. makes sense for a lot of people like some guys they're black belts that I know of that's like their game is just top game mm. and they're like unbeatable or whatever they're super good and then on the bottom they only train bottom with like white belts like the <laughs> lower belts because if they get put on their back it's like boom they're, they're in big trouble even as a black belt yeah. which again is fine but and it makes sense but 
that is the case, Check. or it can be the case. Yeah, Check. but yeah, for fifty six, I, I agree. If if it's a concern for you, like if you're not as durable, or let's say he doesn't tell his weight here, let's say he's like a solid like one eighty five, mm. one ninety, two hundred, something like that. He's way less at risk of getting smashed by some crazy guy Ex- compared to if yeah. he's like yes. 145 56 but, year old but the the 220 pound juiced up dude he doesn't feel the need to smash a 145 pounder oh, new yeah. guy yeah more likely. but yeah, yeah so this guy might get some just for being you know if he's jacked yeah <laughs> yeah the biggest <laughs> issue wrestlers have is Wrestling instills like such a high level of competitiveness in you yeah, that like, like anytime yeah. you're rolling live in practice, like re- in wrestling practice, like you're expected to get after it. Like you are, I mean, you fight off a pin like your life depends on it. I mean, you and if you don't, you get a reputation as a fish real quick. So wrestlers are super competitive, which comes in handy, obviously. But when you carry that over to like, all right, we just did jujitsu for an hour. Now we're going to pair off and start doing some live rolls, some sparring. And wrestlers, like, you look at them sometimes and, like, they – it's good. Like, if somebody's got your back and you're fighting off a rear naked, right, then you fight that thing off like they're trying to murder you. That's cool. But when you're scrambling and stuff like that, wrestlers are sometimes, like, just tearing across the gym and, like, rolling people across the mats, tackling people. And it's like sometimes you got to know when to just <laughs> – like, it's okay to – you know, getting tapped when you're a white belt or blue belt or even a black belt is like going to detention in third grade. Like – Nobody cares. Like, it doesn't matter. There's nothing bad that happens to you. You got tapped. You learn something from it. You move on to the next one. Wrestlers find that mentality very hard to get into. It's not okay to get tapped for a lot of wrestlers. Like, you have to do whatever you have to do to win that three-minute sparring, you know, term or whatever. Huh. Yeah. Check. Right on. Go what, train. What's a fish? Flop around. You just flop sauce. around. But why yeah. would – oh, it is weak sauce. Like, what, what's it's the – It's like if you – you know, like, there's – you can look at, like, wrestlers. You can take this all the way back into high school, middle school wrestling, whatever. There's, like, dudes, and they're going to be tough kids, invariably. Dudes you wouldn't want to get in a fight with on the playground. And they can be – sometimes it's their first year wrestling. But you try to throw a weak-ass half Nelson on them and flip them over to pin them, mm. you work that for an hour. They're not going over. Like, mm. it's just you're going to have to technique them, or maybe you can just totally overpower them. But they are fighting you for everything they got. There's other people that you get that half Nelson in deep, and they start to feel their shoulder picking up and they're something like it's almost like something kind of clicks in their mind where they're like, oh, he got me. And so they kind of go over. Huh. And it's like uh, you get a reputation for that. And they oh. call you a fish. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Fish. Yeah. I know a guy named Soapfish. Yeah, we Different got soap thing. Fish. Different thing. Different sure. thing. Soapfish. We got a guy in jujitsu, Chris, who he's really hard to slow to hold down or yeah. even like just get a hold of. So his nickname is Soapfish. He's like a fish covered with soap. (laughs) (laughs) Good good nickname, by the way. All right, next question. I'm in law enforcement, part of the special operations division of my agency. We serve high-risk warrants, work undercover, make make up most of the SWAT team, and do the fun stuff in law enforcement. I love my job, and for better or worse, love my teammates even more. A member of our team is starting to change. I see it in his face. I hear it in his voice. And honestly, I can feel it. He has said multiple times he's burning out. He's one of the guys that is always in the middle of the nastiest shit storms. He's been there and done that in law enforcement, in the law enforcement world. And he's young, less than 30 years old and in the fringes, on the fringes of starting a family. He's gotten so pessimistic, it's starting to affect the team. He recognizes that he is adding weight to the team and that, is, that isn't needed and 
that sends him even more into a weird spot mentally. I want to help him. My question is, does a man tell another man that he needs to take time to reset? How can I help my teammate, my brother, get back to the better state of mind? Clear vision. So the, the, the first part about this, and it sounds like you're there, but you know, you, you have to build a trusted relationship with these people on your team so that you can, so that you can, so that you can effectively talk to them. And the reason that I kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of use that term, or I had to think about that term, is because some people think, oh, if I have a good relationship with Echo, then I can say, hey, Echo, I can be super direct with him, and because we have a good relationship, that it's going to work. That's actually not true. What I have to do is I have to build a relationship with you, not so I can be direct, it's so I can be effective. Now, is there a chance that when I build a relationship with you, the best and most effective method of communicating with you is direct? Sure, that is possible, but it's not guaranteed. You have a good relationship, Echo, do you have a good relationship with your wife? Yes, sir. If she doesn't look good in a dress, what, you know, what do you say to her? Depends, obviously. Do you say, hey, that dress looks nasty on you? No. Okay, that would be a direct, even though you have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. So. Direct does not mean most effective. Mm. So we have to sort of sort through this. When you, like, like, so we're building a relationship, we have a good relationship. So then you need to figure out, okay, how do I approach this particular individual with this particular set of problems? Generally, we start off indirect, right? And, and you know, I, I've been having some discussions about being indirect and I just, I posted something the other day I was at Gettysburg, I was talking about Jackson, you know, going 14 miles around to the flank in order to in order to surprise and do an indirect attack on the Union when they were a half a mile away. And I said, look, it's the same thing with relationships. And and there's a couple comments in there. You know, one of them said, well, wait a second, you know, is it, you know, it's not good to lie to somebody. And that is correct. And indirect is not lying. Um, someone else said, you know, isn't it more efficient just to be direct when we you know if you have a good relationship, shouldn't it, shouldn't, shouldn't you be able to just be direct? Well, once again, direct doesn't mean effective going back to the, you know, it's not good to lie. No, that's not what being indirect is. Being indirect is not lying. Being indirect is asking questions. Being indirect is listening to what someone has to say. Being indirect is understanding what their perspective is. Those things are indirect and they are harder work. They are a longer path than just saying, Echo, you did a crappy job making that video. That's a really direct path. But it's not gonna land right with you. It's not gonna inspire you to do better. It's not gonna make me understand the situation. It's a lot more indirect for me to say, hey Echo, when you put together that video, what was your vision? That's indirect. I'm not lying to you. It has nothing to do with lying to you. So that's what that's what I'm saying. We start indirect in a situation like that where we start saying, you know, hey Fred, Fred, are you you are you going out on this operation again tonight? Yeah, I'm going. Why are you asking? Well, I'm just just wondering. You look you looking like you look tired, bro. Is everything cool? Like, so we're doing that thing, and, and look, we gotta be careful not, because even questions, right? Questions can affect, you know, mm-hmm. Echo, you tired? 
You know, like, no, I'm not freaking tired, right? Yeah, Especially yeah. you get the these alpha scenarios where everyone's trying to be a badass, which they are. That's why they're there. You know, you don't end up on the SWAT team. You don't, you don't do that if you don't, like, want to be a badass and want to do good shit, cool shit. So if you start showing a little chink in the armor, you don't want to show it, so you're covering it up. So these probing questions, you have to be very tactful in how you ask them. Mm-hmm. Now... I guess I'll go with the. I, I guess I go with this one um, first. There's two things, two kind of like assessments or comments. The Dick Winters with the um, with the seeing a guys with with hands in their heads or heads in their hands. This is an image I'll, I'll never forget from reading Dick Winters' book, Band of Brothers. Not the book, that's the movie, but Dick Winters, the lead person in the book, Band of Brothers. Dick Winters, he wrote a book, and he talked about seeing guys with their head in their hands, and that's when he knew. He, you see that, and if you picture it, you know, you picture someone like this, you know, okay, that guy's got issues. And then what he would do is he would see someone like that, know that they're stressed out, it's too much, and he would pull them off the front line. He wouldn't say, Echo, you need a break. I see you're stressed out. He wouldn't say that. He'd say, Echo, hey, I got this important logistics run. We gotta get this supplies the only person I really trust to get it done is you. Can you go back to the rear for three days and get us the the freaking food and water and medical supplies that we need? And you go, no, I wanna stay on the front line. And I go, listen, man, I, I'd love to have you on the front line, but this is actually more important. Can you do it for me? And you're like, okay, fine. You go to the rear, you get a break, you get some good food, you get to take a shower, you get to relax, you get, you get out of that tough situation. Mm. And you come back and you reset. So how can we get this guy some kind of a break? Hey, you know what? You know what, Fred? It'd be probably good if you could spend a few weeks at the instructor, you know, going putting the new guys through SWAT. Your skill is so high, they need to hear your perspective. That is a good way to do it. Mm. Hey, there's a case that's being worked and it's about, you know, uh, whatever. It revolves around a, free, a surfer and it's up at the it's up in Malibu. Can you go up and cover that case for a while? Get this dude out of the freaking heat. Get him out of the stressful situation. And I'll just say it quickly because I, I, I always put this in there. You get a race car, you get a car in the red check engine light. If you get it serviced, what happens? It's fine. They, they repair it, fix it, whatever, and the engine's fine. If you take a car that's running with the check engine light on and you keep running it, what's happened? What happens? You destroy the engine. It's the same thing with your brain. You take a guy like this who's in a tough situation that the freaking check engine light is on and you keep and he keeps running it, he's gonna burn out that brain. So we need to get some kind of relief for him. And I think there's, you know, probably ways that you could talk to the, you know, talk to him, talk to the chain of command. You guys could plot a way to get him a break from this where he can get recharged. The other thing about this is. Um, explaining to him that he can leave. And sometimes, sometimes just knowing that you can walk away from a situation is enough to be like, oh, I'm good here. We don't want to feel trapped. When we feel trapped, it freaks us out, right? I had this conversation with uh, Stoner on quite a few occasions because he was a very emotional dude and someone would piss him off in the SEAL teams or in the Navy and he would freaking go on a tirade, you know, this bullshit, this sucks, these people are weak, I don't wanna do this. 
And and instead of me being like, well, you got to do it. I'd be like, cool, you can get out. You should get out. And you would see immediately, as soon as he thought that through, it's like, oh, I could get out. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he doesn't feel trapped. And it's like, oh yeah, you know why you're putting this up? You know why you're putting up with this? Because you want to. And if you didn't want to, you get out. So with this dude, it's like, hey, you can leave. Because where where it might be different for him is he might feel emotionally trapped, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, ego trapped. Mm-hmm. Meaning I'm not going to be the one that backs. And this Stoner had some of that too. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to back down from anything. I'll do anything. Mm-hmm. You get that kind of ego. You can get trapped by your ego too. So what you've got to do as a friend, as a brother is give him an out. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey man, it's cool that you're here. You got this job dialed, dude. You should go spread your knowledge somewhere else. You should go to the academy and teach for a while, or you should go to, you should go to a, you know, go, go become a detective for a while so you can bring some of your experience. You, you give them a little ego up and give them an ego out, give them a way to escape this situation. Because right now, you know, bro, like I always say, no one would ever tell me in the SEAL teams that they were tired. Mm-hmm. Like no one, and they'd be exhausted, but they would, I'd be like, are you good to go? They'd be like, good to go. Like mm-hmm. such a lie, mm-hmm. not good to go. No one ever told me they're not good. So I had to identify it and then give them an ego out. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I need you to go do this logistics run for me. Hey, I need you to go over and be an instructor for the Iraqis for a while instead of going out on operations. That's what I would do in this situation. Keep building that relationship. Be effective in communicating. Whether that's direct or indirect, start off indirect and move towards direct over time if you can't get through to them in other ways. Think about that check engine light and you that might be something you end up telling them. Hey, man. Don't stay in here freaking burning. You you feeling burnt out. Go reset that check engine light so you can come back here in three years after some alternative duty. And finally, you know, find that ego out for him. What do you think about, sounds like they're a pretty tight squad. So, you know, should he involve like the rest of the team in that? You know, maybe get everybody, I don't say like an intervention, but like maybe if everybody's like, hey brother, like, you know, bring them together like that, take them out drinking or something and have a conversation about it. I think it could be good. It could also be good to join the chain of command. And I think that those are both of those are escalations in conversations, right? So I'm starting with an indirect conversation like, bro, you know, what's up? How long are you going to do this job for? I'll do it forever. Oh, really? Forever, huh? Like, do you still like it that much? You know, you so you start having those indirect conversations. Those don't work. Maybe you start getting a little bit more direct you know, not fully direct, but you start leaning in that direction, still not getting any responses. Maybe you then enlist a couple friends. Hey man, talk to Fred. He seems go, go through some of that, get done with that. Okay. Maybe it's the chain of command. Hey man, Fred needs a break. He's smoked. We need to get him. So I think that's part of the, uh, part of the escalation along the way. <sighs> Check. Next question. Thanks for keeping us safe out there, fellas. I'm 23 and graduated college and graduate college in May. I graduated college in May. Last year I was working with my recruiter to join the Marine Corps as an officer. He said I should leave some medical things off the pre-screen, mainly that I was diagnosed with ADHD as a child. I did as he suggested. I went to MEPS and they had me fill it out again. I decided I should put the medical thing on there. Long story short, the doctors and the XO said that once I got my medical paperwork in order, I could continue down the path of becoming a Marine. Immediately after, I talked to the doctors and the XO. My recruiter told me the doctors changed their minds and I wouldn't be accepted whatever I did. 
which I'm confident was a lie. Later, he texted me and told me there was an investigation open and nothing could be done until after it was closed. He eventually just stopped responding to me. I've since gotten cleared of my ADHD by my doctor and still want to serve my country as a Marine. But when I called the number I received from the Marine Corps website, it was the same recruiter who answered me. I don't think he'll want to work with me since he pretty much did whatever he could to get rid of me last time. I just don't know where to go from here. Should I try to work with him or should I try to contact a different recruiter? Thanks for any advice. <sighs> Didn't know we were so flush with recruits that you could just reject motivated uh, people coming in your door like that. The Marine Corps yeah. can almost always reject motivated yeah. people coming through their door. They spend the Still. least amount of money on recruiting and they have the, like the, the highest number of recruits that show up. That's the Marine Corps. That's the culture. That's the propaganda that they put out there. God bless them. Um, so quick answer. Yeah, I'd go try a different recruiter because I don't actually know what happened. There's all kinds of weird. This is a really weird thing. There's all kinds of weird things that could have happened. Look, does it appear to the Marine Corps that you lied and you're untrustworthy? Like you lied when you said you didn't have it and now you're saying you have it, you're untrustworthy. I don't know if that's the deal. Is it because they're looking at you going, dude, you didn't stick with your story. You know, first you said you had it, dude, you didn't have it, now you say you have it. Like what's wrong with this guy? He's mentally weak, we don't want him. Or is the recruiter just mad because you didn't do what he told you to do? He said, hey dude, don't say anything about your ADHD. And then you went in there and said it, and he's just pissed because he didn't get his quota. I don't know what happened. Um, but what I would do is just forget all that and try a different recruiter. See if you can get in touch with a different recruiter in a different state. And I don't know how well they, how well do you think they keep like docs on somebody that washes out of the recruiting process? I did three or four months working for a recruiter real early on in the Navy between my A and C schools, and it wasn't, I mean, it was a paper file. I don't right. know, maybe they've updated that now, but, I mean, it, this just doesn't seem to me like, yeah, like, roger that, you learned your lesson, tell the truth next time, but this doesn't seem to me like it should be a deal breaker for a dude who's, like, wanting to serve his country, you know? Yeah, it's he very like, strange. They can figure it out, I mean. And, um, you know, you just said, you know, now you know, tell the truth next time. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would do this. I would either tell them or not tell them. And if you don't tell them, freaking don't tell them. Um, yeah. I mean, just the fact that he felt guilty enough about it to inform them once he got there is, you know, to me, kind of shows like a decent amount of character. Yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, it's weird. Here's the interesting thing. It's weird that his recruiter said, don't tell him about it. Because is it something that does it disqualify you if you had ADHD, a whatever it is, ADHD? Does it, is that a disqualifying thing? Maybe it's a point against you. I know when I went in, you know, they asked me, like, have you ever been in any physical altercations? And I was like, you mean like a fight? <laughs> and like, they're like, yeah. I was like, yeah. And <laughs> You're like, like, I'm a boy. And they're like, uh, <laughs> All right, we're going to put down no, and then just sent me yeah. on my way. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I, there's a lot of those things that, yeah, are kind of interesting questions that maybe they're looking for some kind of a pattern, you know? Um, so I don't, I, I know there's big things like if you were on antidepressants, that can be a problem. Um, 
for getting into special operations, some special operations that can be a problem. So I don't know, man. It's it's very strange that your recruiter would say don't. And the also the other the recruiter might have been like, oh, you got diagnosed with ADHD? Yeah. Well, did you ever get any drugs for it? No. What's your what's your GPA? Three point eight. Okay, so you're cool. Yeah, yeah. Don't need to say anything about it. Yeah. That could have been what happened. So again, I don't have the details here. And if that's what happened, your recruiter's right. That's you are telling you don't you don't have some problem. You just some freaking jackass school teacher was like, hey, you know, he's got ADHD. Send him to the shrink. And the shrink says, yeah, he's got ADHD like every other freaking kid that's whatever, 12 years old and is locked up in a damn classroom. Yeah. It's not like they give you a blood test and an fMRI to detect ADHD or something. You know, you sit down with somebody, they ask you some questions and they're like, yeah, okay, you got it. Yeah. So if that was the deal, that's why when you said tell the truth, I'm kind of like the truth is a is a is is a very gray area in this particular case, right? Right? Yeah. Am I so. wrong? I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, ADHD. Um, it wasn't there like a time where people were like, "Hey, that's not real." Yeah, yeah. See what I'm saying so. Well, like, if well, when I was a kid, it wasn't like a thing. Yeah. There was no one. There was, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. You were just like getting detention for whatever. Yeah. Because you were free, you were freaking, you know, uh, uh, uh tearing the pages out of books sure. during class. Like, yeah. What are you doing? Like, I'm tearing the pages I'm, out of these books. Why? Because so I'm I freaking bored. So that I don't go insane. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I'm freaking bored. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So what if... Nowadays, if I was in there, they'd be like, yeah, you have ADHD. Yeah. Now I can't join the Marine Corps? Are you serious? Is that what's happening? Yep. So if this guy's like, one, you know, one guy's a believer, and then maybe someone else is a not, or let's say he's a non-believer, other someone else is a believer. Yeah, hey, I don't want to do you like that when you go in there. So, hey, man, don't put that on there. Kind yeah, of a thing, you know? Yeah. I can see that happening. Yeah. Oh, like a guy that's not a believer in ADHD. ADHD. It's yeah, just exactly like, bro, right. you were just a hyper kid. It's they always good. make a big deal out of this dumb stuff. It's not even real. So don't yeah, even yeah. give them the ammo kind of a thing. Yeah. And I kind of agree with see that. that happening. You know what I mean? Is, is this a changing your comment on just tell the truth? I mean, my, look, I think that, that we really start. This is a different conversation, maybe, but like, I, I, it's really my. Do philosophy. we need to contact it, Sam it, Harris right now? It's just really go my, deep on it's my philosophy <laughs> that when it, you know that that when you allow yourself to lie or deceive, you introduce an element of corruption in okay. yourself. That, I, I that, get it. I get it. <laughs> but, get but, it. but but no. But but seriously, let's say no. you have a son, and your son's like your son got the, exactly what I just said. Your son was in school, got a C on a test. You know, he's in sixth grade and his homework looks sloppy and they go, hey, we should get him evaluated. And you're like, well, I don't think he needs an evaluation. He's just a kid. And they go, well, we had him evaluated and we, we think he has, we, we've diagnosed him with ADHD. Would you like to put him on Ritalin? And you're like, no, he's just a kid. And they go, cool. And now, you're, now your son, you know, fast forward 10 years, he's going into the Marine Corps and you know, you're looking at the thing he's filling out and you're like, you see ADHD on there, you know it's gonna be a red flag. And you're like, and you see him start to check that yes box. Do not say, hey son, listen up. You got diagnosed with ADHD by one person one time. You did you did great in high school. You don't need to put that in there. If it was my son, yeah, probably. You know, I'd have a personal investment in it like that. Um, but I would feel something about it, just like this guy does. You know, it's just, yeah, I think like, I don't even think that you're necessarily doing anything wrong, but I know I'd feel guilty about it. And um, 
you know, it's I guess maybe it's less so because you're not talking to a person that trusts you. You're really interacting with a bureaucracy. It's like yeah. you know, well, the human I, resources department okay. is a little different. But L- yeah, let, let me let me try this again. What's the spirit of the question? The spirit of the question is, do you have a freaking problem? Mm. Like a problem. Mm. That's the spirit yeah. of the question. Yeah. And if you're answering the spirit of the question, you're actually not telling the truth if you say, yes, I have ADHD and I got a 3.8 in high school, I got good grades, I had a job down at freaking Walmart, you're like, I'm a functional human. Yeah, I agree, but you could get- And uh, now I'm getting red flagged because- You start looking at the spirit of the question and uh, you know reinterpreting it in, in that light, you, you could get pretty Talmudic pretty quick and allow yourself to you know sort of stretch uh, that mode until you're look in this instance I mean we're not talking about a big deal we're talking like I'm just speaking like a little more generally like I think it's interesting that this guy actually felt guilty about that when he got there and changed his answer like it's to me it really does say something about the kind of person he is even if again like that wasn't necessarily the best move freaking DC's mad at Colonel Herbert who got to Korea and lied about what unit he wanted to, was in so that he could go to the front lines and fight <laughs> dang bro like, oh, he's a liar. I don't like him. No, yeah. no, that's no, where no, we're no, at. No, that's no, where no, DC's no. at. Yeah, 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 no, that's where DC's you. at. <laughs> you don't, yeah, you I'm just saying that I appreciate the dude's the dude's spirit and intention here. That's all. I don't okay. think he, I don't think he, he would have done anything wrong if he had kept it that way. But you just got to be careful. Well, yeah, you do got to be careful. I'll give you that. But if the, if you're trying to serve your country, yeah. Yeah. I mean, personally, like if, you know, if it was like that, if it was a deal breaker, like it was my son and it says, dad, they're asking me if I got ADHD. We know I'm fine. I got a 4.0 in high school, but they're asking me, what do, what do I do? Honor, courage, commitment, dad. Like, you know, how can I, how can I lie to the core just, to, you know, as I'm getting started out, but it's a deal breaker. They won't let me in. And I would say there's always ISIS. They don't care if you lie. You can kill anybody you want. <laughs> uh, I was just thinking I lied. So did I. Yeah, there, there you go, DC. Maybe he's speaking what? from experience. They asked, about, me, like, they asked me, you know, they asked me if you've ever been in any physical altercations. And I was like, you mean like a fight in high school? And they were like, well, yeah, anything like that. I was like, yeah. And they, they were like, yeah, we're going to put no. Did you ever get charged with a crime? Or you know why? Because the spirit of what they were asking you is, have you beaten anyone half to death? The spirit of what yeah. they were asking you is, have you been arrested for that stuff? Which You're I had been arrested. Yeah. And they asked me and I was like, nope. They asked me if I'd ever, you know, had any speeding tickets. Nope. Like I, you know, was just, nope, nope, nope. Mm. Why? Because I wanted to get to the front lines like Colonel Herbert and go get some. <laughs> Strategic deception. That's what we're going to call it. Oh, what did you man. say? The, the spirit of the, of the, the question. The spirit of the question. Yeah. So that's a huge deal, by the way, in my opinion, obviously. But that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, like, oh, they want to see, okay, you, okay, do you have ADHD? Essentially, like they want to know because this ADHD, ADHD, whatever, they want to know if that's going to be a problem for them. How you mm-hmm. said? He said he was cleared of the ADHD. He was cleared of it yeah, later. Yeah. He got diagnosed like earlier. He was cleared of it. So yeah. So it's like the spirit of the question kind of gets proven in a way, even on paper. I mean, there is something too, just when you're dealing with the bureaucracy totally. of the Department of Defense, where like I remember when I went to Search and Rescue Swimmer School, and this was in. Oh, four. Uh-huh. So this is not like I, I wasn't in the Navy in like 1952 or something like that. Right. <laughs> and one of the forms that they gave us to like fill out, it was just, you know, who are you? Like uh, it was just part of the application process. And it asked you, I'm not I'm not bullshitting you. It asked you your race. And it said 
white, yellow, black, brown, red. Sweet. I shit you not. And I'm like, <laughs> and so at a certain point, like you have to look at it and be like, okay, like this is obviously a little bit ridiculous the way they're framing this here. They're asking a question, have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? Have you ever been in a physical altercation? Then maybe I could see your point a little bit, like that the system here, this the, the bureaucracy yeah. is a little bit crazy. And sometimes you have to be a little Byzantine and navigate it as necessary to get fully where you need I, to be. I've been, I've been going through this a little bit. You know, we got freaking Sam Harris over here just telling, you know, you can never say, and, and who else? Jordan, right? Jordan Peterson, same thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I haven't dropped this bomb. Here's the thing. When you are in this spirit of I'm going to tell the truth no matter what, that's fine as long as you start with yourself. As long as you start with yourself. So when your wife puts on a dress and it looks ugly, you start with yourself by saying, you know what? The truth is, I'm judging my wife on the way she looks instead of on her character. That's what you do. You tell you, you, you need to impose this truth on yourself. If in this situation, it's like, oh, the truth is, I don't have ADHD. That's the truth. It doesn't impact me. It's been re-diagnosed. I don't have it. That's the truth. Mm. Next question. Have I been arrested? No. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, yeah. Why are you lying? Uh, I, and <laughs> although I do respect your position on it, Daryl Cooper. I'm not the, saying how dare this guy. I don't even remember how we got necessarily yeah. on this avenue of it. Because you, yeah, you went level seven Sam no, Harris on me. I didn't say, like, how dare he do that. I said what you said. Like, that I, I thought it was interesting and respect the fact yeah. that he did that. And yeah, fully. Jocko was like, screw that. Lie all you want. I don't no. care. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. Say whatever you have to do I, to It kill. feels like your position is kind of like in a vacuum. Where it's like, yeah, you shouldn't lie about this kind of stuff and like all the stuff. You start lying, then when are you going to stop lying? You know, kind of a thing. And there's some truth, I think, anyway, to that. But in the real world, real world doesn't really work like that a lot of the time. So, like, okay, let's say you, you're married, right? I am. Let's say before you met your wife, you were in a relationship. You got married before or something like this. Mm-hmm. And your last wife accused you of beating her physically. Mm-hmm. You yeah. didn't. Yeah. Totally accused you of it. You guys went to court. It was this big trial. You know, everyone's like, oh, this guy's an animal, whatever, mm-hmm. beats his wife. Yeah. Finally, the, the trial's over. You get cleared, right? Not convicted of beating your wife. Meanwhile, you got accused. You went to court, all this stuff. Now you meet your wife and, and you're like, yeah, oh, hi, and good to meet you, whatever. And then she asks, like, oh, yeah, did you beat your last wife? Because I heard, like, you got accused and all this stuff. It's probably going to play a role. You see what I'm saying? But you didn't do it. Okay. You totally didn't do it. Yeah. Just like the, essentially the ADHD. Someone said, hey, you got ADHD. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Yeah. Later on, he got straight up cleared of it. Yeah. Straight up. I think this is a perfect example for my position, though, which is like if she were to ask you like, hey, I heard something from somebody that like you had gone to court for like this thing back then. And me being like, well, the spirit of the question is, am I going to beat her? That's really what she's worried about. And do I have this tendency in me? And so I can say to her. Because I'm really like telling this is really the truth in a way that, no, sweetie, I never had that court case. And none of that ever happened, actually. Because yeah. really what she wants to know is, am I dangerous? Yes. And I'm not. Therefore, so 
in a that's vacuum, a bad idea. In a vacuum, that does sound correct from your position, but from uh, the outside people, it's kind of like, oh, the, well, the fact that you know, you there's even a tried big to question frame mark. that as an argument. I'm disappointed, actually, Daryl. <laughs> like the fact that you just tried to frame that as an argument, it's it's a letdown. Uh, he brought it up. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, no, no. But the thing is, from your personal perspective and from this guy's personal perspective, it's it sort of makes sense. But like I said, it's a bigger picture. Like in the real world, when there's like other people on the outside who don't know that's why they're asking the question kind of thing. It's like, I don't know, man. That court trial was pretty long. I'm not not saying if it's 1941 in Poland and a dude in a Hugo Boss uniform with a skull (laughs) on it comes up and says, excuse me, Mr. Applebaum, but uh, that last name sounds Jewish. Are you Jewish? That you say, well, yes, I am, sir. I'm not saying that. All right. You you pop two and do a Nazi salute even if it, like, burns your soul to get Mm -hmm. out of that situation. That's fine. There is, like, you know, um, you can take it all the way to the extreme. Some of the old, like, medieval knightly orders speak the truth even if it leads to your death. Just period. It's a religious injunction. You, you, You simply don't do it. And if you get martyred because of it, so be it. There is that. I'm not saying this guy should do that or that any of us should. I'm just saying that having that as a as at least your baseline policy, you know, and then allowing yourself to step outside of that in extreme situations maybe, or where you're in a, in a situation where it's just a completely irrational, right? Where your wife is giving you like a real shit test. Like she's just asking you, how do I look in this dress or something? And you have to get your, maybe fine, you know, okay. But it should be a baseline policy and you should, every time you allow yourself to wander off that path, I think you should, be aware of it and you should check yourself on it because it can become a habit. And the fir- every time you do it, it becomes easier the next time and easier the next time. And then you never know where you are. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, in a vacuum, well, hold on. I Let can't me just, argue, you know, yeah, but well, well, the real world. I, I got to throw this out there. You on. just recovered from your last argument. That's a decent argument. I mean, that's a decent statement, which I don't think anyone would disagree with yeah. you. If you, if you get put into a situation where you're like, you know what? The, the I, I need to, I, I need to tell a lie right now about this situation. I know why I have to do it. It's the right thing to do, broadly speaking, so I'm gonna do it. You need to be aware of it. You need to make sure that that doesn't become a habit because it certainly can. Those, that's, that's totally makes sense, right? That totally makes sense. And I think that's, um, I think that's, that's where we're at. I'm not you know convinced. what I'm saying? What's interesting about that statement? Mm. I need to tell a lie because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I I would I'm down for that for sure. Okay, but I mean we could we could sit here and come up with example after example after example where telling a lie is actually the right thing to do. Yeah. I'm not going to hurt this person's feelings. I'm not going to not be able to serve my country. Uh, you know what I mean? These are like yeah, fully. Uh, and, and, and also, I, it's I agree. Like, All it, I'm saying is that. You have to be careful because you, you it need can to become it. very, very easy to rationalize anything. Right. Well, where it gets scary is, you know, there's a bunch of things where, hey, have you, there's a bunch of things where on that recruiting form that you fill out, because you're checking box after box. I mean, this ADHD is one of 150 boxes of some kind of health conditions that you may or may not have had. And, you know, basically, no, 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 no. And basically a lot of people are just checking those no boxes but there's some things on there you know have you ever had i don't know some form of heart disease where now you're out on a run in boot camp and you have a freaking heart attack cuz you didn't tell anybody yeah so so we're not talking about that that's not that's not the right thing to do yes you're putting others at risk you're putting your team at risk you know you have a heart attack while you're out on a mission cuz you never disclose the fact that you have a heart condition that's wrong yeah 
Yeah, and that's and that's why I say in the real world you kind of do, and I don't even think kind of you gotta consider the spirit of the question in that way. The spirit of the question and the spirit of what's the right thing to do. And you know what? This is why when I said in that first question about California, I don't paint myself in the corners. Yeah. So to sit here and say like, you know what? I would never tell a lie. Yeah. I can tell you there's 99% of the time, 99.9% of the time, I don't, I'm not gonna tell a lie, I'm not gonna have to tell a lie. Yeah. But to sit here and say I'll never do it when it's actually could be the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. and I'm not saying that, I'm, that I've never told a lie or that I don't tell lies. What yeah. I'm saying is that when I do it, I, I would like to at least try to keep myself in a, in a place where I recognize that I did it and I recognize that I kind of broke away from, you know, from my policy and from my values there. Yeah. And just never let it become something that's thoughtless and mindless where you kind of find yourself rationalizing things on a regular basis over things that really are not big, like that big of a deal. It's just really you don't, you're lying because you don't want to deal with this problem right now or you want to get out of trouble for this right now or whatever. You know, those things just become, it becomes easier. It becomes a slippery slope. That's all. Yeah, sure. fully. Yeah, and I never, like that wasn't at all what I was saying. I was saying you weren't sitting over here talking about St. Cooper over yeah, here. Yeah, no, no, no. That's not the thing. And the, the fact is, I agree with you. But as it applies to like this and in, in situations like this, the, there's more to it than that. Like in a vacuum. Oh, yeah. Tell the truth unless it's the right thing to do to lie. Like, mm -hmm. well, yeah. But then in when it comes in the field, when is that? You know, so yeah, go say as many extreme examples as you need to. But it's easy to tell that kind of stuff. The extreme examples mm. come down to this one. This guy got diagnosed ADHD, then got diagnosed no ADHD. The question says specifically, have you ever been diagnosed? Not are you, do you have mm -hmm. ADHD? So it's like, wait, what are you guys asking? You got you to gotta consider that kind of stuff. Because it's like, hey, it's proven, quote unquote, I do not have ADHD. Why are you asking me if I've ever been diagnosed? Because if I've been diagnosed before and then diagnosed that I don't, it shouldn't apply to anything in the future, should it? Anyway, what I'm saying is it, it gets a little wonky, right? So you got to consider the spirit of the question. Yeah, and what I'm who saying. you're talking to. Like right here, you're interacting with a system, really. Yeah. You know, that, that you're filling There's out a form, too. you're interacting yeah. with this big bureaucracy. It's different than like Echo trusts me not to lie to him. Right, right now I lied to him. And, you know, that's going to affect the way we develop our relationship going forward. And all these, it, it is different. Yes, sir. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm sick of this question. How do we, how do we know you're not going to lie to us <laughs> after this conversation? Bro, we got to figure this kind of stuff out. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, next question. I have a question for Echo. Interesting. I'm 20 years old trying to play Division Division One football. I walked onto a small FCS football championship subdivision college after high school but was cut due to they couldn't have any more men on the roster for my position, so they had to let me go. Now, my question is, should I try and walk on again at a bigger school since I'm going to the bigger school to continue my degree? Or should I walk away and stay on the path of fo path focusing it on something else? I only needed to hear the first line of the question to know that Echo's answer is do more curls. <laughs> yes, sir. One of them. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you. Big support of the podcast. So the. So have you ever heard of this football championship subdivision? I, I had to actually it just said originally said FCS. It's like leagues or something i don't really know what it is I, I but it basically either. he's like d1 real d1 big time real big time football that's what he's talking about yeah but it feels like i've never heard of this either fcs but it feels like given the question that it's maybe some like offshoot like almost no like it's a, not i looked at the teams it's real it's it's football it's college d, d1 college football i don't know why he threw that thing in there but it's 
D1 college football. That's what he's talking about. Okay. He's talking about playing at a D1 college football team. Okay. And then he walked on to a smaller. Okay. So basically, should he, should he walk on again uh, onto a big D1 college football team, even though he got cut on this small FCS yep. subdivision team? That's what it feels like. Uh, either way, I th- if it was me, it just depends on how much you like football. Yeah. Like, okay, Concur. so because if you like football or if that's part of your, your jam at 20 years old, which is very possible, no matter if you have NFL aspirations or not, if that's part of like your jam and then you don't do it and you go to college and you live the normal college experience and you see other guys playing football, walk-ons and full ride guys, you can be like, man, I, I, I messed up. You know, you, yeah. I, I, I need to be more in this college experience. Real simple. What's the downside, right? There's yeah. no downside to trying to walk on. No. You're going to get in good shape. You're going to meet some cool people. You're going to push yourself. If you get cut again, cool. You gave it your best shot. You know that. If you make the team, cool, awesome. Yeah. Either way, it's like no downside to go for it. Yeah. And this this getting cut, I've heard of this where you get cut because let's say you want to be a wide receiver. Let's say they need five guys at the most at wide receiver mm-hmm. and there's like 10 people trying to try out for that position. It's like, bro, you guys can all kind of be good, but either we're going to move you guys to defense or, hey, I got nothing for you here, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, so that makes sense. So what if he walks on onto the bigger school and then he gets a shot because there's, you know. Yeah. They, they can fit them. Let's you know? go for it, dude. Yeah. I say 100% go if you like football. If you like football. Yeah. If it's something that, you know, your dad forced you to do yes. and you hate it, yeah. then like whatever. Yeah. But you wouldn't even be writing this question if that was the case. You'd already be not doing it. Yeah, he's like contemplating. Okay, so there's here's, another, here's one thing, though, and you have to kind of self-reflect a little bit on what kind of student you are. Or should I say what kind of – what kind of effort you're going to put into your studies for real. Mm-hmm. So if you're like going to take like, if you want to be an architect or something like this, and I say this from experience, cause I was like, Oh, I want to be an architect. And they're like, you, you can't play football and be an architect. I was like, yeah, I can. They said, no, you can't. I said, yeah, I can. And they said, well, that's a lot. That's a big, big demand trying to be an architect. So I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I'll study more. I love architecture, whatever. I'll do it on my spirit. I'll do it weekends, whenever. But I go there. The architecture class is three hours long, five days a week. It's like, bro, I can't be an architect anymore. I've got to play football. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, if you want to be like an architect Why or some doctor. What did you change doctor, your major to? That's classified. Just kidding. It was a. It wound up being a liberal studies degree based around uh, exercise and psychology. It's like the typical trajectory. Yeah. Kind of. You start in engineering or architecture, yeah. move down to, you know, maybe marketing and then find yourself doing elementary education by your senior year yeah or we just, all love our teachers or just simply dropping out you know whichever <laughs> but but yeah so that's if that's the case you want to be an architect or you know some super high demanding field i don't know mm-hmm. med school or something yeah. like this then it might be conducive especially cool. let's face it if you if you have this massive massive talent and you kind of know at 20 there are very few exceptions to this where at 20, you kind of know this guy's on the path to going wherever. Going pro. Going pro, yeah. Right. Um, and if, you don't, if you're walking on and then you got caught, you know, at this day, it's like you got to evaluate, okay, do I just love to play football? Yep. And then if you're on this path, if you're doing a high demand, like, you know, in academics degree. or whatever degree, it would be beneficial to do that and not, that'd be the only reason I think. Check. To not do the football thing. Concur. He did say they had too many men on the team. So this is 2021. We're about to have Caitlyn Jenner as our governor in California. 
maybe he can kind of swap his identification and walk on. I think you're going down some mm. weird rabbit hole on that <laughs> one. It's just a suggestion, you know, thinking yeah. outside the box. Yeah. All right, with that, this is too long already. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for supporting the cause. As always, you can get some supplements from JockoFuel.com. You can get clothing, jujitsu gear, jeans, boots, whatever you need from OriginUSA.com. You can get stuff to represent on the path at JockoStore.com. I've written a bunch of books you can check out. Kids books too. I have a leadership consulting company. And if you're interested, you can go to echelonfront.com. And on the interwebs, Echo is at Echo Charles. Daryl is at Martyr Maid. And I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks for joining us in the leaden and sunless world of the underground. <laughs> and until next time, this is Daryl and Echo and Jocko. Out. <laughs>